Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Embrace change. Uh, seek it out. It stretches you. It makes you uncomfortable, but that's how we all grow. Nice. 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 Nice with Dave Delaney. Welcome to the Nice Podcast, all about communication, collaboration, and becoming better leaders. I'm your host, Dave Delaney from futureforth.com, where we help fast-growing tech companies retain talent, improve culture, so you can have happier, more connected teams. Today, I'm speaking with David Briggs. Dave is the regional president of Fifth Third Bank. Dave, welcome to NICE. Dave, I guess it's the Dave and Dave show today. Uh, Thanks for having me. (laughs) The Daves I know. That's right. That's right. Have you ever heard the, uh, did you ever watch Kids in the Hall by any chance, Canadian? I absolutely do remember that, yeah. Do you remember the Daves I know? I, I, I don't remember that dynamic okay. of the show. Okay, you've got to, uh, yeah, look it up on YouTube later. You'll, uh, the Kids in the Hall, the Daves I know. It's, the uh, Daves. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty catchy song and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. So Dave, let me, let me begin by asking, what is the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? Oh, look, um, I am, uh, I am blessed to, uh, to have been living and working and, and residing and growing kids here in Tennessee since 2000. And so just by a factor of, of living here, Dave, nice things happen every day. But, um, but I would have to say, uh, from a specific answer to your question, I had the privilege of uh, going uh, out to Telluride for a boys' ski trip uh, in early February that, uh, that my wife surprised me with. So, uh, nice. so that was a nice gesture from her. Uh, I don't know if it was so much that uh, she wanted to do something nice or she just wanted to get me back out of the house. Uh, but either way, I, I was a net <laughs> benefactor of it, net beneficiary of it. Yes, that's awesome. That's great. And what a what a great place to uh, to ski. We I actually we um yeah we did we we I've been dying to ski. I've, I've this I haven't skied in like a good few years now. Um, well, I did once a couple of years ago back in Ontario where I'm from. But uh, yeah, it's been a while. 
Well, uh, another, you know, we, we've learned and experienced so much in the pandemic and so much, honestly, Dave, that I think we took for granted going into it, or I certainly did. Uh, one of the things is travel. One of the things is being able to, uh, to ski. Mm-hmm. We were able to go even during the, the, the pandemic uh, a couple times, but it was okay. different. Slopes were limited. Um, restaurants were, were limited. The logistics of travel, we all know, has been changed. Mm. So uh, what what used to be a much more straightforward endeavor uh, has been further complicated. But it's uh, nice yeah. that, uh, that this year was was a step much closer to uh, normalcy in that regards. Yeah, yeah, it was. We we went over to Switzerland over the holidays, and uh, and my brother lives over in Bern, and we uh, he took us all sledding. I forget the name of the, the mountain, but it's basically like the tallest uh, mountain, I think, in, in Europe. And yeah, and, I mean, that was a ski hill, but we actually went sledding and it was Fun. this this epic, epic sledding, like an hour and a half to the bottom that of the was, mountain. Uh, wow. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm used to like a f- five second run, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Cool experience. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty wild. So let me ask you, who was someone especially nice to you in your career? Uh, I have, uh, I've been a career banker, Dave. I've been in the industry for 33 years. Mm. I have been blessed with an abundance of, of managers, bosses, mentors. Matter of fact, for whatever reason, just kind of went through a, a list not too long ago. And I've, I've reported to 25 different people throughout my career. Uh. And they have, everyone has been different. Everyone has been unique. But I have just been privileged with having great relationships through that. But if I had to pick out one, I spent 27 years at Bank of America, um, who took great care of me. And then in 2016, I decided to have a significant pivot. And I left to follow an executive that had been at Bank of America over 35 years and left during the Great Recession, Dave, and started a bank. And um, it had culminated in 2016 to where he had grown in South Florida and in the Carolinas and was ready to really launch in earnest Tennessee. So I came on board there, a gentleman by the name of Gene Taylor, who's just an exceptional coach, mentor, friend, and uh, was really exceptionally nice to, uh, to give me that opportunity, um, which was a, a huge step after 27 years at the same company. Yeah, that's that is huge. What made you stay at the same company for twenty seven years? Um, it's a great question. In, in a myriad of of aspects, uh, one challenge, uh, two a sense of loyalty, um, and three friendships that that are spawned throughout our work relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I just uh, think is 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 I talk to my my kids. They both graduated college last spring and entered the workforce. And so that, among other uh, relationships, uh, you know, mentoring and, and discussing what you look for in a company, you know, one of the great privileges is at some point in time, a work relationship magically trips over to personal friendships. Mm-hmm. And after 27 years, I had a lot of personal friendships that that were uh, through there. But as we... As we all know, so, so that in combination, uh, as well as they afforded me a great opportunity for change, uh, even though I was with one company, I moved six times in 10 years in North Carolina before we settled in 2000, all a variety of commercial banking roles. 
And then uh, in 2005, we started a focus on government sector, and I had the chance to really lead that and and learn and, and meet teammates outside of the geography that I've been working. And then in 2009, um, after Bank of America had purchased a longtime monoline credit card company, MBNA, that had incredibly deep partnership relationships of co-branded cards. So, Dave, if you think about any college and university that has a co-branded card, multiple retailers, airline co-branded cards, MBNA was was the engine behind the vast majority of those. So I had the opportunity to to go and help bring the rest of the Bank of America enterprise into those relationships. Great amount of fun, great challenge, except I was on plane, trains, and automobiles for literally 250 days a year, each and every year. And my kids were in their teenage years. My wife said, enough, you got to stop traveling so much. So then the Bank of America afforded me the opportunity to lead banking centers for Tennessee and the bulk of North Carolina for a year. And then after that, I had the opportunity to pivot into private wealth management. So a snippet of my journey at Bank of America afforded me a lot of different diverse opportunities, even though it was under one umbrella, so to speak. And then just to finish my career track, as I mentioned prior, I joined Gene Taylor at Capital Bank, recruited 14 teammates over uh, nine months. And then uh, we sold the bank to First Tennessee, uh, First Horizon, stayed on with them for a little over a year to help see the merger through, and then um, took a pause, um, gathered some introspective and perspective, and uh, was enjoying some time off until Dave, my wife, made it abundantly clear one of us was going back to work, and she made it clear it wasn't going to be her. <laughs> so uh, I had the privilege of joining a lot of former teammates that I had worked with over the years that were over at Fifth Third. I've had the privilege now of being over at Fifth Third since uh, 2018. A couple of things that stood out to me in in uh, in that, especially in the in in your answer to to you know why you stay there for uh, you know for for well, I think it was 25 years. You said 20, 27. Excuse me, 27 years. Um, a couple of things that stood out to me, and these are things that I focus on with uh, with my company, Futureforth, and the consulting I do, is on one is on uh, relationship building and how you know, part of the challenges these days, uh, especially with businesses that are are remote, uh, in part probably due to to the pandemic, um, or that work even in a hybrid sort of model, but but allowing your, especially when when you're team members are, are diverse and they're, they're all virtual and they're all remote is, is how you can build a culture and, yep. and, a, and, a, and, and trust and loyalty to a brand or to a business when your team members don't actually meet in person. And, uh, you know, this part of what I've been talking a lot about lately with, with potential clients as well is about, and some clients about doing retreats or doing, you know, at least offsites to bring everybody together. Cause yep. you need to be in person to build relationships. You can't do like a lot, even long distance romantic relationships only last for so long. I mean, it's just, you have to meet up. Yeah. What, yep. what are some, some of your thoughts on, on that? Cause you talked about building these relationships and friendships that, that have grown, uh, you know, through your career over that, those, that 27 yeah. know, year span. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts. Yeah. On no, you're 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 so right, Dave. And like again, as we, we mentioned a couple of times already, the pandemic taught us a lot. And one thing I give corporate America an A 
plus on being able to pivot swiftly mm. and get jobs done. By and large, I talked to, you know, one of the privilege of being a banker, Dave, is I'm under the hood of so many different businesses across so many different industries, across so many different geographies. But a common theme was many of them pulled off work that they never thought they'd be able to handle remotely or virtually uh, prior to the pandemic. So the pandemic forced us out of our comfort zone and to do our jobs. So can we get jobs done remotely? Absolutely. But how do you develop talent? We are such a collaborative industry. Our company is all about collaboration and teaming. We're all about bringing in new folks to the workforce, to the company. And there is no way, in my opinion, you can develop talent as effectively uh, than being in person. Um, And so does that mean you have to be in in in-person environment? No, but you have to supplement it with having gatherings, having retreats, having elements of, of catalyst of where you can be a person, I think you absolutely have to. You just can't. Relationships happen over time and, and being with, with people in person. And, you know, one of the adages I used to, to use in the past is, if you ever really want to get to know a teammate, go travel with them. You get stuck mm-hmm. in an airport for four hours with uh-huh. somebody. Uh, matter of fact, uh, our teammate that runs our, our client support um, group, she and I got stuck in LaGuardia Airport for eight hours, and neither one of us have ever been the same. Um, and and <laughs> you, uh, you really get to know somebody when you have that amount of time idle, particularly if you're stuck in LaGuardia, if any of you have experienced uh, that, that dynamic. So <laughs> I have, yes. No substitute for, for being in person. And then the other thing I would just mention on just the whole being back in the office dynamic you know, banks in general, and certainly at Fifth Third, we, we talk about um, our banks prosper when our communities prosper. And honestly, I never really set a lot of, of introspection on that until the pandemic when I realized the place where I grab a burrito three times a week really relies on me being involved in the community. A place that I would go and grab coffee and, and meet people went out of business during the pandemic. And it was real, real in your face, Dave, of, hey, it really does matter us being together and being out in the marketplace. And one of the particular aspects I, I like about being in Tennessee and particularly in, in Nashville, I describe Nashville frequently as it's a big, small town and it matters being out seen at lunch. Um, I was at a breakfast this morning networking and I ran into two other tables of folks that I needed and connected and saw that stuff matters and makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, uh, I wrote a book about it. My book is called new business networking and it was about in part about moving from Toronto to Nashville in 07 and not knowing a soul here and how I networked to grow my own career yep. uh, in this city. And I mean, there are other stories and examples in there, but um, yeah, so I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of networking nicely, like doing it the right way. And uh, yep. yeah, it sounds like you are too. Tell me also, um, you know, the, the, I, I mentioned two things that stood out to me about your tenure there um, for that 27 year tenure. You mentioned, so one about friendship and about building relationships as, as we've covered here. Um, the other side of it was about uh, the company um, and Gene being open to letting you, you know, moving you from 
into different roles or into different departments or divisions. And I find that is also something that really helps with retention is that, you know, team members either, you know, they need to, for whatever reasons, maybe they're just bored in in the role they're in now, but they're a great teammate. So uh, are are there strategies or, or ways that you practice this with your own team members now by, you know, trying to be on the lookout for when, when these opportunities come up that you can actually offer them a, a, and it doesn't necessarily have to be even a, a promotion or a pay raise, even just moving someone into a different department yep. can, yep. can greatly help with retention. Yep. So tell, tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. Um, and I think like so many other aspects in business, Dave, mm-hmm. it all comes down to process and discipline. So we have a very disciplined process here at Fifth Third. Matter of fact, ironically enough, we we have a talent planning session here for our Tennessee teammates uh, this afternoon, where all of the business line of leaders will get together. We have gone through each one of our teammates, fills out a profile on his or her background, as well as uh, what desires they have for future career aspirations. And then we also, as leaders, sketch in the development plans that we're working on with each one of these respective uh, teammates. So that's part of the process. And what we will do this afternoon is talk about person by person. Where are they in their journey? Are they in the right spot? What could we show them that would expand them, push them out of their comfort zone? I I had a a teammate years ago that I was catching up with Dave and, and he remarked of, oh, you know, just was asking, how are things going? He said, oh, well, you know, I lost such and such to this other department. And I said, congratulations. He goes, yeah, thanks a lot, you know, wiseacre. <laughs> I'm serious. He goes, well, no, that was bad. She was my my workhorse. I said, no, that that's, that's great. I said, to me, as you're going through figuring out what your main accomplishments for this year, I would put at the top of your list that this teammate grew under your leadership, under your role, and was able to do something different. That's good news. But I think what we find out is, is people that are saddled with that, that, that old misperception, uh, for lack of a better term, Dave, I think are ones that aren't constantly out recruiting for new talent. And they're so fearful that if somebody leaves their organization, that they're going to be saddled with an empty chair and, oh my goodness, who do I put in it? Well, if you're constantly recruiting talent internally and externally, you always have a slate of folks of, you know what, if we're successful of somebody moving into a new role, here's a slate of folks that can backfill. We had a teammate just this morning um, announce that, that she was moving from one, one role uh, in our middle market team to one of our large corporate roles. And it's going to be a great stretch for her in expansion and use of talents. And guess what? We, uh, we, we have been going through a plan to give her the skills and experience to be able to do more. So that's all worked out. And we've actively had an eye out on knowing this may happen. Who else can we backfill with? And we have, we actually may wind up bringing two new individuals that we've been recruiting externally that we're so impressed with mm-hmm. and says, you know, this investment is all about investing in your talent. And fortunately, Fifth Third has been very gracious to us uh, here in Tennessee of saying, you're a growth market. 
It's all about talent. If you find two really good players, even though you're only backfilling one, hire both of them. So we're most mm-hmm. likely going to do that. So to me, it's just a win-win when, when that occurs. And the, and the last thing I'll mention on that is years ago, when I first moved to Tennessee, I had an associate that, that was that decided they needed to leave the company. And I, I sat down and said, well, help me understand, why are you going to XYZ? And she said, because there's no change over there. And I said, wait a minute. First off, you really believe that Um, because what business doesn't have to change in this dynamic environment in which we all live, work, and operate? And number two, if you really do, how long is that company going to be around? So again, I'll go back to my my kids just having started uh, the the work world. I have told them, embrace change, uh, seek it out. It stretches you. It makes you uncomfortable, but that's how we all grow. Yeah. And, and, and it's a great point because with, by seeking change and, you know, it's something, something I talk about a little bit too, is about, you know, kind of accepting or, you know, nobody wants failure. Nobody wants to fail, yeah. but at the same yeah. time with fail, failure, I mean, if you're failing, um, well, we'll, we'll use the, the skiing analogy, right? If you're not wiping out sometimes, then you're obviously yeah. not trying anything new. That's right. Great point. Yeah. So, and yeah. I, and I, I think that's, uh, you know, and, and, among some of my other bizarre hobbies, uh, I've had the privilege of, of racing bicycles for, for 20 years. And uh, one of the things I enjoy about it is, of course, the races are great. We're all competitive freaks. And, it, yes. and it's great to be able to actually go toe-to-toe. And it's not so much trying to win. It's it's trying not to lose uh, is, is probably even more motivating. Right. But one of the things I like about it is the discipline of preparation. And you just can't show up to an event and not have it put in the hours or, or the training. And one of the things I like about the training is you progress doing intervals so that by design, you get to a point where you fail. Uh, so whether it's training for cycling or in the weight room, you know, unless you get to a point where you put enough weight on the bar that you actually can't do another rep you don't know how far you can go. And that's okay. You learn from failure. You grow from failure. Right. Do you ever go out and, and say, all right, the most I've ever put on the bar is 300 pounds. And I did that twice. So I'm going to put 400 pounds on. Well, you know, you're going to fail on that. Right. So <laughs> I don't think you ever go into a role going, oh yeah, let's put Dave in this. We know he's going to fail. Um, yeah. Go, Hey, we know this is a stretch for Dave but he's been stretched before. We all grow when we're stretched. Let's go in there. And oh, by the way, if it's too much, let's grab him, pull him above water, um, give him the tools to try to be successful. But at the end of the day, if it's not, it's okay to say, you know what? We tried it. It didn't work. And then bring him back to a role um, that that they're comfortable in. Um, And that's okay. So without, without taking risk, We'll never know. We'll never reach our full potential. Do you open up that dialogue with your team members to, you know, I'm asking this for our listeners who might work for smaller organizations or run smaller companies too, but of, of, you know, whether it's promotion or just, or, or just offering, uh, you know, a team member, a role, like a different role or a different division or something like that. Tell me a little bit more about the process of selecting somebody to to perhaps be offered to move into a different a different direction. Like, how do you first detect that that's something that you you even should be doing, 
for a specific person? And then how do you have that conversation with them to see if this you is know, something great, they'd like to do? Great, great, great question. And I, I think it comes back down to, you, you have to be open and transparent and, and communicate. And mm-hmm. um, again, when, when, um, when, uh, when our kids were trying to figure out where they were going to go work and they were having a, a, a bunch of, of interviews, I said, guys, you know, you have to do some research going into it. And Dave, I've yet to pick up uh, for a publicly traded company, the annual report to shareholders, where somewhere in the letter to shareholders, the CEO or chairman, whoever's authoring it, doesn't say, oh, and by the way, we have the best people. I've yet to see somebody that says, ah, you know, we kind of believe in the bottom of the barrel or mediocre uh, performance. Mm -hmm. Uh, Said nobody ever. So, you know, everybody can't have the talent, all the top talent. So how do you do it? And, and, I, and I often say that people vote with their feet. And if you've got a good culture, they will stay around. So I think folks, first and foremost, when they're thinking about where they're going to work, my guidance is ask a lot of questions of, of that company. What's the day in the life of? What's your turnover been? How's that compared to the industry? Where do you, where do you uh, receive talent from? How often do you promote? So one is, I think, just knowing the culture of where it's at. And then secondly, once you're, once you're doing the role, it's up to us as leaders to sit down with our teammates. Hey, where are you? How's it going? What do you like? What don't you like? Where do you see yourself in two, three, five years? And by the way, there is nothing wrong with saying, you know what? I love what I do and I want to just be better at it and I want to be a, a pro in position. Absolutely great. I think sometimes you can have cultures that um, are, are, there's a balance here, Dave. You, you, you always want to, in my opinion, look and have an opportunity to stretch and grow. But there's other folks we've all seen that the minute they land in a position, they're too excited or anxious about what's next to really sink in and learn in the role that they're doing. So you have to have a balance on excelling in what you're doing, but always with a line of sight of not where the puck is, but where the puck's going. And it starts fundamentally with open and honest conversation, open and honest assessments of your skill set, where you have gaps, and then open and honest discussion of where we can develop to improve those gaps. And then with that, an open and honest dialogue of what are the potential roles and how would that potentially look like? Is there a percentage of time that you dedicate or whether, or, or maybe this is just something you, you do naturally to focusing on your, on your people, on your teammates, you know, on your actual, on your staff. Um, Cause you're, you know, you're, you've, you've got a, a pretty busy schedule. I would imagine yep. <laughs> a very busy schedule and you're balancing a, a lot of balls, I imagine, or, or spinning plates yep. or however you want to say it. Um, is there a percentage of time that you focus or how do you remind yourself? Oh, you know, I, you know, I've been, I've been working on client acquisition and making sure we're bringing on new clients so much that I need to like shift gears here and think about our teammates. You know, do you, is it something no. you're mindful of or how does that work? My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. 
I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. It's, it's a great question. I'm kind of chuckling here as you're, as you're teeing this question up, Dave, because yeah. one of the uh, that I've been receiving coaching on, and it's valid, is being more, more granular and um, detailed in, in my calendar planning mm. and prescriptive of where I do spend time. Um, I think a lot of us uh, that come from more of a sales background fall prey to a disproportionate amount of time working in the business, chasing mm. deals, um, getting an email and going, oh, hey, somebody's stuck and let me jump in and help um, alleviate this roadblock so that we can get this, this client onboarded, do more business, win more, more names. Uh, versus working on the business, which is strategic planning, the personal people development side of the equation. But saying all that, part of there is a process I mentioned earlier, obviously, this talent planning discipline process that we have here at, at, at Fifth Third, uh, that, that ensures that we are spending time on, on our talent and development plans and having ongoing dialogues with our teammates in that regard. I, we've also heard, you know, whatever analogy or, or snippet you want to use, but get the right people on the bus. Um, we've all heard that. And, 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 and it's so true. And what's fun is when you do get the right people on the bus, um, driving it uh, is really easy. Uh, by the way, when you get the wrong players on the, on the bus, it's, um, it, it's no fun at all. And, and I've been very fortunate that I have an incredible group of leaders that, that we have amassed. They understand where we're going. They understand our success measures and they're driving the, the people, the, the recruiting of people and driving it. So overall, it makes my job really easy. But what I enjoy doing is beyond running the process and then doing my part to recruit talent for my Rolodex or accelerate revenue cycles by my Rolodex of, of company owners, high net worth families, individuals, et cetera. But I just like roaming the halls, popping in door to door uh, on a daily basis when I'm in the office or if I'm not, I'm, I'm on the phone. Hey, how you doing? What's going yeah. on? Uh, everything going well? No agenda other than just being um, spending time. It was kind of like those teachable moments with, with your kids you never can really chart out when it's going to happen. It happens when you spend enough time with your family. So the same thing, you never can really figure out when that true coachable, teachable moment is with your teammates, unless you're spending enough time with them. And something pops up and go, ah, here it is. When, when this meeting with this company is over, I saw two specific things as illustrating exactly what I've been trying to talk them about. But you see it live and in color and it gets amplified because they just saw it. But that never happens if you don't spend time out with your teammates. 
Yeah, no, that's great. That's a, and it's a great way to be to, uh, you know, making yourself, you know, just by, by walking the halls and, and popping in to say hello. I mean, that, that also makes you a more, uh, a friendlier, more approachable leader, you know, cause oftentimes fear, uh, can, can slow things down and, and yep. definitely, you know, affect communication, uh, internally as well. So, well, so it's great to be that, that way. Yeah, David, just kind of on that note as well. Um, I, um, I really view successful leaders as one that, that are really there for their team to alleviate roadblocks, give them the tools that they need to be successful. And if anything, we work for them, not the other way around. Mm. And, and actually, just personally, I've never cared for the phrase, I work for somebody or somebody works for me. First off, we, we work for our clients, our customers, and our shareholders, if, if we're going to pick something, in my opinion. And mm. if anything, myself is being privileged of, of being the, the president of Fifth Third for Tennessee. Uh, the, the folks that work in Tennessee don't work for me. I work for them. And if I'm being successful, I'm finding out what gaps they have, what barricades or barriers they have, and doing the best from my position, my seat, my chair, my internal network to solve those challenges or problems so that they can be even more successful with their clients and customers. And then if they're successful in clients and customers, we're going to be successful as a marketplace. We're going to be successful as a company, and, and I'm going to be very happy. Yeah, no, all all things make sense to me, and you know, it impress it impresses me that you know you've 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 uh, you've been doing this for so long, and and staying with with businesses with specific companies for or banks for, for so long as well. And I think in this day and age, you know, people, you know, I mean, you, you often hear like stats and 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 uh, you know, information about the fact that like don't expect to work for the same employer for your whole career. Yeah. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna jump and move around and. But but then I look at you and your 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 career, um, and and the fact that you you've really stuck it out with with a couple different uh, banks through your career. And then I was also uh, you know reading about uh, your dad and how he was a career guy in corporate for IBM. Uh, yep. And how long how long did he work with IBM for? Thirty five years. Exactly uh, thirty five years. That's great. You say just just a little uh, snippet on that. So, yeah. so dad was obviously a very loyal person. Um, and I, um, I got a phone call. I, I was probably eight, 10 years into to my, my journey at Bank of America. And a recruiter called me and we were chatting and, and uh, went through my, my background. And their comment, Dave, was, um, you've been with one company too long. That shows you're stagnant. And, um, and not nimble. And so I happened to be talking to my dad about that, who uh, was a very calm, balanced person, but um, that got under his skin. And he said, that is absolutely wrong. Um, you need to be loyal to a company. If you're loyal to a company, they'll be loyal to you. Um, and and, and, and stretch, your, stretch yourself internally and, and strive to be the best wherever you're at. And, and all of that is, is true. Um, now, I think that, that clearly when my dad started working in his career, people did have, it was frequent that folks had their entire career with one company. Yeah, sure. People were more loyal to their companies. Companies were certainly more loyal to, to their employees. And think about it, uh, back in that generation, you didn't have a lot of job layoffs or reduction in force 
And what it did is set huge shockwaves. So the paradigm of business has certainly shifted on that regard. Mm. Um, but I think there's still a way. We, we, When people decide to change companies, and this can go both ways, Dave, we clearly, there is, um, we, we understand the equity somebody builds and their, their amounts of shares they hold in that company or they're given through stock grants, options, et cetera. But you also have personal equity. And so when I decided it was time to leave B of A after 27 years, I had 27 years of personal brand equity built up at one company that was erased. Uh, by the way, that can sometimes be a good thing. Sometimes you need to erase yeah. brand. Yeah. But you, I think that's also a reason, typically, if somebody decides to leave a company to go to another one, why are they paid more? Well, you're taking more risk. You're wiping a slate clean where if you're at a company a long time and, and something's in the gray area and you call and say, hey, Dave, I know this opportunity we're working on is a little bit in the gray area. I really believe in this. I'm asking you to lean in on it. Going, mm-hmm. All right. Hey, I've worked with Dave a long time. He's got credibility. He's never led me astray. I'm going to lean in on that. If you call after being there for six months, going, oh, all right, who's this guy? Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't heard of him. I'm probably going to be less apt to lean in. So that's just, there's not a right or wrong with it. It's just a truth and a natural element of dealing with, with humans. And you just need to realize that. You lived in France for three years. Uh, where did you live? Did I lived in a suburb of Paris. Yeah. Um it was a great opportunity. I was, uh, I entered the third grade, went to the American school in Paris. My mom happened to be a Brit Dave and mm-hmm. still had a fair amount of family in England. And so it afforded me a great opportunity, a relatively good young age to get to know that side of the family mm. and also, uh, learn not only a different part of the States, obviously, but a different part of the world. Um, and I was young enough that I remember it all, but I was still not old enough that I missed some of the unique elements of the high school relationships or the the college prep standpoint, uh, which would have been fine. But just as my course was, I think it happened at a really good age. And uh, parlez-vous français? Un peu. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. uh, (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Big part of the curriculum. um, Yeah. But but I went to the American school, and uh, this was interesting. Uh, Dave's back to kind of the skiing element a, a moment ago. And speaking yeah. of colors, but the Parisian schools back then—I don't know if they still do this—but back then they would the, the the Paris schools would go to the Alps for a month with their school with their t- teachers, and they would have school in the morning and ski all afternoon. So the oh, American man. school trying to incorporate the culture, but I think listening to their client base, the parents who said, you can have my kid for a week, not a month. Right. We all with our school kids um, for a whole week, no school, but just full skiing with all your buddies and schoolmates and, and teachers. Mm-hmm. So I actually learned to ski in the French Alps, um, um, which was uh very privileged, uh, I might add, but again, just kind of a unique characteristic. I don't know of any American school district that has that kind of, of element or, or arrangement, but it just showed very early on a much different cultural approach 
to something that in the States we wouldn't even think of doing. Yeah. And I think that's really, <laughs> that sounds like a, I, I want to go to school there, uh, <laughs> but that, you know, it sounds amazing. I mean, I think, I, I, and I asked you about that too, because I was curious about, uh, yeah, your, your approach and understanding of, you know, other cultures. So it's something that's very important to me. I mean, our, our kids have, have traveled, you know, I mentioned, you know, Switzerland over the holidays, but they've, they've been to Iceland and they've been to Portugal, many, many European places. Um, and, and not England yet, actually, strangely enough. And my mom, <clears throat> pardon me, my mom is also British. I say mom. Yeah. Um, so she's from London and like your mom, she, she grew up, uh, during world war II. Uh, so she, I'll give you this little side story. I, 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 on during nine eleven, um, <clears throat> excuse me, my mom got very upset. I, I mean, of course, everybody everybody was upset, obviously. Um, but we're in Toronto, and you know, on the at the end of the attacks, when the attacks had had settled, and we weren't sure, you know, it, it kind of things had calmed in the sense that we, it didn't seem like anything else was going to happen. Um, my mom was still panicking. And, and certainly at that point, we, we concluded nothing was, was happening, was nothing bad was going to happen in Canada in in Toronto where, where we lived, but my mom kept freaking out about it. And I was like, mom, like it, this is, it's over. This isn't really going to affect us here. And, and she, I just totally side by side, like she threw me off because she said, D- Dave, you don't understand. I grew up during the blitz and yeah. I, yeah. It, it never had had, I'd never even thought about that before. I never really realized. And, uh, yeah. and your yeah, mom I mean, did too. You, right. You, yeah. And you know, uh, in probably in your mind too, Dave, uh, now seeing this very unfortunate Russian Ukrainian situation, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. unfold and 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 as they're talking to ukrainians and and they're talking about the bombings and missile strikes i mean just we can't 9-11 was probably the closest that we as americans came to that that dynamic and fear factor and dave i know you said your kids haven't been over there yet but have you done the churchill museum in london uh no actually i haven't so I, I highly recommend it. Matter, matter yeah. of fact, just you and I share in the background of our moms having having grown up during the, the bombings. Mom, mom would talk about just being uh, under the dining room table with her parents and her mm-hmm. sister. Her two brothers were all fighting in the war and hearing the bombs and not knowing if one was going to hit the house. And you know, I just can't fathom going through that. And the Churchill Museum really shows it's it's. It's the bunker of which Winston Churchill ran the war. And it's incredible, preserved and incredible to see it. And Mm. then, of course, it does a a great job of walking through the timetable and iterations of the pre-war, during the war and and post-war. But it's just surreal to think about that dynamic and really, again, how blessed we are to live in this country. But it also, I think, is always a reminder in particular with this this current conflict, we never can take our national security for granted. Um, it's it really is um, it really is something that that is, is precious, and you never can take it for granted. Yeah, I, I posted something about that the other day about my 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 thoughts of like anytime I have stress about my business or or any aspect of my life, I, I just have to you know, think about what these poor people are going through in Ukraine oh. right now. 
and well think said. like just put it in perspective, right? Yeah. So well I mean, said. Yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah, my my heart goes out to them. All right. Well, let's move to the lightning round and then we will wrap up uh here. Uh all right. So complete the sentence. Nice guys and gals finish. First. Nice. What's a nice book that you recommend for the nice makers? For the for the what makers? The nice makers. That's uh that's our listeners here. Boy, um, who moved my cheats? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a great one. Actually, is that a book that your kids have read as they've been kind of thinking through their careers? You know, that's a good question. I'm not okay. sure I have I have mentioned or, or brought that to their attention, Dave, but I think what a simple, literally mm. five-minute read that's yeah. kind of back to your comment of putting things in perspective, whether it's seeing a conflict or just going back to kind of those young kindergarten years. We, we tend to overcomplicate and overinflate life at times, but it, but it's, it's pretty basic, right? So, um, yeah, and, and that, that one's, I think, right up there at one of the most simplistic but most impactful still at the same time. Well, oftentimes things are, right? Like, it, it's interesting how, yeah, when you, when you think about the simplicity of, of certain things, like when you kind of tear away all the, 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 aspects of things that kind of overwhelm when you, when you drill right into it, it's usually like a simple problem. I mean, it might have great, you know, large stakes yeah. involved, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, most problems are rather simple. Look, we, we overcomplicate business. Um, <laughs> right. I, I, I will, I will bet a large sum that any of your uh, listeners that are putting together business plans or have put together a business plan didn't have there as an objective to become bureaucratic. So mm. how do companies become bureaucratic? It, it happens. And so you have to work every day to annihilate it before it takes hold. Because once it does, it's hard to ever turn it back. But at its core, if you get good people, help them understand clearly what your objectives are and what your success metrics are, and then get out of their way, but hold them accountable, businesses run pretty darn well. Uh, but then we just wind up overcomplicating things. Right. Right. If, if you're not careful and if you're not disciplined on that. Yeah. How is Dave nice to himself? Uh, by allowing myself to exercise. Yeah. That's important. It's important. Yeah. yeah. I, we, we all deal with stress differently. Um, and to, to me, exercise is just a great, um, stress reliever, motivator. Um, again, again, we're fortunate that most times of the year here in middle Tennessee, we can get outside and enjoy fresh air and, and beautiful views. Um, and so I think all that is a, a real benefit and we, we have to stay well-rounded. Um, we, we just can't, one of the things I, I, um, mentioned to my kids, you, you have to be disciplined and turn off work. Um, if you decide that you want to send an email at 3.30 this morning, you can do it. And if I get it at 3.35 and respond to it, I can do that. But is that healthy? Is that good? Is that wise? No, you, you got to have balance. This is a marathon, not a sprint for our careers. And that doesn't mean that we don't work hard and, and be aggressive, but you have to have balance in, in life. And you have to have, in my opinion, excerpt uh, to, to relieve stress 
and come back energized, recharged, and even a better teammate um, than, than without doing that. Yeah, that's good. Do you encourage your team to do that? I, I, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Are, oh, sorry. Go ahead. And on that front, um, I, I actually will send out more nasty grams. And, and some of this is just as we're regaining traction coming out of the pandemic day. But, you know, obviously there was a period of time there where the, the, the pandemic didn't allow us to spend face time with clients, COIs, talent. Um, so we weren't spending money on that front. Now, as we're back out largely being able to play offense, for lack of a better term, I will send more nasty grams of, hey, check out so-and-so. They didn't spend much last month, which is a little bit foreign. Uh, most companies <laughs> have to be the other direction, but I think I think you have to spend money to make money. You have to be wise and disciplined of how you do it, but there's no better investment than a cup of coffee, a lunch, a, uh, a drink in the afternoon with really getting to know somebody and building that relationship, much like you hit on earlier, Dave. Yeah. 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 It's all, it's all about planting those seeds when it comes to to networking and, and just having these, these informal chats. I think it's, yeah, it's really beneficial. Yeah. Um, and, and as far as exercise go, you, you talked about racing bikes too. Do you do that still? Do you do that here? I do too. Although it seems like the older I get, the faster everyone else seems to be. And, um, <laughs> uh, and, and you know, fortunately, during the pandemic, uh, we, we certainly missed uh, effectively that whole 2020 season. But last year, there was a limited amount of quote-unquote normal races. But Wednesday night at, out at the Nashville uh, Fairgrounds during the spring and summers, there's a uh, race Wednesday night, which is a great way to break oh. up. Um, the, the week and to get some incredible intensity. And, you know, personally, I, I don't care how disciplined or regimented you are in intervals or putting your body under stress. There's nothing like the real thing of racing to replicate it. The only problem there is um, because it's a Wednesday evening, the classifications are limited. So I race with the young, real fast guys. And I know my objective is certainly not to win, but to hang on. And, yeah. um, and, and that just doesn't have that same fire of accomplishing that objective, although it's a realistic one, um, than trying to line up with, with my age bracket where I do feel like I have a chance to, uh, to win. Although my age bracket, um, I'm, I'm no longer close to being the, uh, the youngest in it. So um, we're, we're getting more and more of an influx of that talent. So every year that becomes harder too, but, uh, but yeah, I do that. And then um I, uh, I have a personal trainer that I go to the gym twice a week to really just kind of keep my core and joints moving as best they can as an old guy. Um, and by the way, some of my best business networking has come from being on the bike or being in the gym. It's just another element where you, you tend to meet people. Yeah. I think getting out and, and, and finding ways. Yeah. I work out with my wife and we have a trainer, but we do it virtually. I mean, we work out at home. Um, but I think, I think you're right. I think now, now more than ever, like just getting back out, I've started attending some networking events and things like that around Nashville recently. And it's just, and speaking events as well, just doing that yeah. in, per, in person again has been fantastic. Um, great. but by the way, did you see a clip? I saw this clip recently and I, it blew my mind and it was, um, it was, uh, some cyclists racing, 
Um, I'm not sure where they were, but they were definitely moving pretty quickly. And this guy uh, uh, in the front of, or this guy got, he was riding his bike and uh, it's hard to explain, but he sort of basically lied down straight flat so that his like stomach was on his seat and his arms were holding his and Yep. And he bolted across the, uh, the, I don't even know the name. What's What's the name of the guys who travel with you to, to protect like in front. To make... Yeah. Yeah. He passed him. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know that particular <laughs> clip, but, but right. yeah, I've certainly folks that have unclipped, laid their belly on their saddle and, and yeah. just become a rocket ship going down. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, if you tried that in a race, they probably would frown on you, uh, quite certainly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's amazing how aerodynamics play a, play a difference. And, you know, like so many other things, too. You know, back to skiing is just one example of many. Yeah. Uh, or, or certainly golf. You can go out with some really good local cyclists, good local golfers, good local skiers, and they're great. But then you put them with the pros, and it's a whole different level uh, altogether. Mm. One of the cool things about cycling is it is a little bit, it is a closed knit arena. And so I've had the privilege over the years of riding with a number of notable pros and it's a lot of fun to do that. But then it's also eye opening with just seeing the power output these folks can put out is just incredible. And again, it's no different than going to a golf course. And hitting your drive and then seeing the pros play there and go, my goodness, they hit it 60 yards further than my best drive. So it really is incredible, the exponential difference um, of a a really good amateur to just even a average professional in their given sport. I, I, uh, I, I am not a golfer. However, it's something I I'm interested in learning. And I actually, I'm, I'm pretty good. Like, uh, you know, with putt, putt, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good with that. And I, I remember my dad came to visit me once, uh, in Nashville. He's an, or was an avid golfer and, uh, like bought the house on the green kind of deal. Of course yeah. that, that season, he pulled a sciatic nerve as soon as he moved in. So oh. like the whole season he sat there oh. watching people golf and couldn't golf. Oh. Um, I've also, I disappointed him many times because I, I actually went to like some of the best golfing in the world and didn't golf. So I called him from like, you know, uh, St. Andrews, for example, I was there in Scotland and he's like, Oh, tell me you're golfing. I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, Pebble beach called him from Pebble beach. Are you golfing? No. He's like, Oh God, like you're in the best yeah, places Dave, in the world. A, a quick aside on that, you know, but yeah. My father, if you hadn't picked up on it earlier, not, not only was was my dad, but a huge mentor, and, and I miss him dearly. And yeah. He and mom had um, had went when they retired, went down to Western North Carolina, spent a year orchestrating, building their house, and then it was all set up for dad to play golf full time. And I called home one day and talked to my mom and um, finished with her, and then asked to talk to dad, and, and she said, "Oh, he's out driving an ophthalmology van." I said, what? He said, ah, you'll have to ask him. And so I talked to him later. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, saw an ad in the paper. And not surprisingly, when guys, people are having their eyes fixed at the eye doctor, probably not a good idea for them to drive. I and mean, this is all before Uber and, and whatnot. So I just decided, uh, he says, you know, I've always wanted to be a truck driver, but your mother wasn't going to let me do that. So <laughs> I drive a couple times a week. And I said, wait a minute, what happened to the full-time golf? And he said, I realized quickly Golf is a whole lot more fun as a special occasion. 
(laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Yes. Whole balance element, right? Uh, Right. As much as we enjoy having fun, whether it's cycling, working out, skiing, golf, whatever our respective passions are, part of I think what makes it great is is that um, you, you get to do it on a special occasion. We've often said, I can't imagine the pressure of the folks that, that play golf for a living trying to do that and, and making a paycheck out of it would, would mm-hmm. be just torture in, in my estimation. But that's why they're doing it. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, if you had a billboard, what would it say? I would say uh, work hard, play hard, play together. I love it. I love it. Dave, how can people get a hold of you or learn more about what you do? Yeah. Um, thanks, Dave. You can uh, email me at david.briggs, B-R-I-G-G-S, at 53.com, david.briggs at 53.com. And um, happy to talk to anyone. And Dave, th- thank you for the opportunity to, to visit. I've thoroughly enjoyed our time here together. And uh, I should have started this way, but welcome to Nashville. We are glad to, uh, to have you uh, cohabiting with us. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah, it was a pleasure chatting and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. Please leave a review if you enjoyed this episode at friend.nicepodcast.co. And you can find show notes, links to other episodes and lots of other goodies over at nicepodcast.co. Music by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. We'll see you next time and be nice. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe.